folks, if you've followed the financial markets since, say, 2008, when we on this podcast came of age, well, some of us were drifters. In any case, you'll recall that the lesson of that crisis is that in America, rich people on Wall Street do not lose money. Now, why is that? Some have called it the revolving door that cycles in ex-partners and muckety-mucks from Goldman Sachs into the Treasury Department and even into the Federal Reserve, which, during this pandemic, has spared no expense to bail rich people out of their anxiety and enrich them as a virus plagues the world. On this week's episode, we examine the relationship between one of those ex-Goldman banker fancy pants movie guys, Stevie Mnuchin, and his now somewhat nemesis, Jerome Jerry Jerbear Powell. This week, Stevie Mnuchin said no more to some emergency relief funds that the Fed is jealously guarded to make the financial elites feel better. We discuss all that and more. Sunroom? I'm in the patio, baby. Oh, very nice. <laughs> mm. All right. I want, I want to feel alive. <laughs> Enjoy the fresh air. Yeah. Um, hopefully, no, you know, mosquitoes get up to no good. Robert, you like, you're chilling in darkness like the Godfather. Well, um, I don't know. I, I I just closed all the blinds this morning. I was pretty hungover. I didn't want to deal with anything. So yeah. is there is there a discarded pizza and a twelve pack? Right now? Uh, no, there was a bag of there's a bag of Taco Bell, as I thought that might be. <laughs> You're like, give me the chalupa. Are they still doing the chalupa? I have no idea. Mostly when I order it's because I'm blind drunk and I <laughs> need something but um yeah how are things over there pretty good dude we got we got a window guy coming over here that's actually the real reason i'm out here oh i can't have the window guy interfering with what is a carefully crafted precision operation better known as this podcast so it, it took you several hours of prep to get that mic out to the patio that's right we almost, we have a whole, I almost dropped this computer and broke it in half. We have a whole stage crew helping you out out there? Um, James, by the way, we t- Robert and I discussed this yesterday, but 
the real you know you know when um you know when uh you know if you get laid off of your job and you're looking for a new job you say i'm in between jobs that's what you yeah. say in polite society which this came up because we we're talking about robert macking on women but i told him the real reason we do this is that when we get fired from our jobs we can say uh we're podcast entrepreneurs <laughs> still basically means you're unemployed but sounds a little bit nicer well yeah you got you got uh, <laughs> some ambition some vision uh, so yeah, uh, I, I was telling him this because the, the whole I, I can tell you from experience between jobs does not it does not get received well in the uh yeah robert said world. when he left his old job before he he came to like his new job like in the two weeks the customary two weeks or whatever between jobs he said oh i'm between jobs like in the literal sense <laughs> and did not go, did not go over well not, yeah. just, like say like you're an options trader or something like that yeah everyone has a side gig right yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so James, uh, today, basically, Stevie Mnuchin drops the hammer on, on the Treasury, continuing to support its emergency lending programs for the Fed, most of which, as I understand it, support the corporate debt buy-ups and some of the small and medium-sized business lending. Jerry's not happy. Jerry don't like it. He don't like it one bit. And uh, it's bad for old man stocks. They had a moment in the sun. So what I'm most interested to know, and we'll get into the the deeper why in a second, is how are your Russell Russell 2000 shorts doing now? Oh, well, I'm still down 70% <laughs> for uh, December expiration. But I, I think I want to re-up, actually. I think maybe next week. Might as well just just keep keep writing it up and then and then cash out on the way down, but but yeah, I think um, it really hadn't ha hasn't had an impact, right? You see the uh, that that announcement was made. You would think that there might be like a sell off in high yield, but no, I think high yield just pretty much just keeps going. I guess you're I guess you're right. It wasn't like a seismic sell off. Just a little correction. Yeah, slightly, but I think there's still ample supply. I think someone posting on Twitter that there were still ample supply for carnival debt, you know, and even even if it's not backstopped by the Fed, you know, maybe maybe the vaccine news has helped these these um, these cyclicals that maybe they don't need the the support anymore. Or the other side of the coin could be um, Stevie is trying to sabotage the next administration, <laughs> just like your <laughs> president's orbit. Well, that's what I wanted to maybe ask you. Yeah, I mean, what what's it? So it's is this the equivalent of Stevie giving the middle finger to the Biden administration by letting these things expire? You could interpret it as that, or you could say it, it maybe it's not needed because of the vaccine. So, well, he also he also said uh, publicly that this specific tranche of support the Fed wasn't really using anyway. Is that true? Yeah. That's true. The money's just sitting there and it has been sitting there, but it's like kind of a nice to have that if things get bad, then the Fed can come in and backstop a lot of this debt, but they haven't really needed it, actually. So arguably, I mean, Steve, what Stevie is saying is, is true. 
Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. fall, fallow capital or fallow support. And mm-hmm. conceivably, the next Treasury Secretary, assuming there's no military coup, uh, could just re-up it, right? It's at the discretion of the standing uh, Treasury Secretary. I'm not sure what the law- laws are if you're just if that money still sits there or if it's allocated. But I, I think so. I think, yeah, I, I think there wouldn't be any, any stopping. Me. Robert, are you... Yeah, you you like to uh, you like to give a middle finger or two. Do you think Stevie is is re- this is really just a vendetta move? It's not it's not uh, clinical, is it? Well, I, I think it's an attempt at one, but I, I don't think it actually does a whole lot of anything because, as was pointed out, the money wasn't being used for anything. Um, Jerry's already said on a number of occasions, like the Fed's done all it can do at this point. We need. Um, we need uh, fiscal stimulus, so it's an attempt at a middle finger, but it's not—it's not doing a whole lot. It's so. I then, James, having said all that, why why then are you uh, reopening your case for shorting the Russell? Just curious, reopening, as you say. It's it's just because it's time. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think it's it's like it's like this. I think when when someone also wrote like if if you're showing your wife your 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 full one k account or your uh, <laughs> just trading account, it's probably a sign that it's time to get out. <laughs> and so I'm like, hey Lisa, check this out. <laughs> you know, because we've been doing pretty well. And I remember from the last time. Um, so yeah, it's just another hedge um, for the most part. But but you, you still think that yeah, it feels a little bubbly right now just short term, but I think you still rally to the end of the year. Well, um, for the more ignorant among us or among our listeners, I'm not saying they're ignorant, maybe they are, but the Russell 2000 is a composite of what exactly? A small cap stock. So you just take like the 3000 biggest companies in market cap um, in the US. And then I think it's like the Russell 1000 is the top 1000 and the Russell 2000 is the bottom. 1,000 to 3,000. So conceivably, the most vulnerable companies yeah. in the publicly traded realms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like to the extent that uh, the recovery next year, which is, or I mean, the forward outlook in 2021, which assumes a vaccine uh, and assumes, can we say, a V shaped recovery even among cyclicals? Uh, a Russell 2000 short is basically calling bullshit on those stocks coming back in a serious way or they're just they're seriously overbought right now yeah or, yeah the rally has kind of gotten ahead of itself also another story is the dollar so a lot of it's uh, like you know energy weighted financial weighted if the dollar has been selling off i think that was probably one of the 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 impacts of kind of the standoff with 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 the president uh so the dollar won't sell off forever i think it'll come come back at some point and then with then a lot of these companies will get will get um impacted overly impacted by that bobby are you are you looking at are you looking at the cyclicals you're you're deep into old man stocks as we know i am yeah as this week changed any of your thinking or are you just are you in any new adventures that you think are interesting in your old man stock realm no i'm actually 
I'm actually throwing a lot more money into it, mostly because, as I've said, as I've said before, I'm long out to 2023, but I'm short out to January of this coming year. So I actually needed old man stocks to pull back because they did get a little bit overheated. Mm. So this this is this is working out well for me. The strategy is is in place where I need modest, um, either modest pullbacks or or just I don't know the thing to move sideways for the next month and a half. But ultimately, I do think old man stocks do well next year, mostly because. I think the market as a whole will do well, given that the comps are going to be basically on the floor. So interesting, given, given how shitty how shitty performance was this year, the the comps should easily outperform in the next year. So you think that basically every company is going to be able to say, "Look how great I'm doing year over year because I got my shit together." And versus 2020, it's just so favorable that there's continued optimism around well, the. There's there's an understanding that when when growth is in in short demand, when there's not a lot of growth, then growth will outperform greatly, right? So, given that most old man stocks did not do well this year, your things like your Zoom, your DocuSign, shit like that has been fucking killing it because if you need growth. That's the only place to find it. Mm-hmm. But now that the bar is basically on the floor, growth is going to be everywhere next year. So I would expect that your hyper growth stocks, the ones I just mentioned, will likely not do as well next year because you can find growth at much more reasonable prices in something like a target. So given that we are, uh, we're pro- I would say we're highly aligned there's a rally. There's a rally on to the end of the year, as you say, James. End of the calendar year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert is bullish on the prospect for 2021 for the for the reasons of shitty comps. James, are you still are you still uh, theorizing that there will be a one year roll off when people clear their capital gains windows in two Q of next year, say? Mm. there'll be a structural sell-off then i'm definitely like have my eye on that that time horizon but it's hard to know what's going to drive it what's going to be a trigger but there will be a trigger and there probably will be a sell-off and how bad it will be um is anyone's guess but i think you know secular we there are there are some some uh, favorable favorability to, to stocks in, in the long term but i think there will be some stock kind of q2 sell-off mm. um maybe like 10% to the magnitude of that. But I think overall, I think we, we still do see some bullishness in, in, in that cyclical rotation. So uh, pivoting to business news for a moment, uh, Apple announced that it's, uh, it's 30% toll that it charges to developers who sell on the, the Apple app store. Uh, Monopoly practices, pretty pretty clear that Fortnite uh, made made hay over some months ago. Uh, as a countermeasure, Apple is cutting its commission in half, so from thirty percent to fifteen percent for quote unquote small developers. And supposedly in the app developer ecosystem, 
most of the revenue is commanded by the largest developers and there's a bunch of small developers under a million in revenue a year. There are many of them that they're basically irrelevant. Fortnite alleges that this is Tim Apple's way. He's not Tim Cook anymore, by the way. Trump renamed him Tim Apple. He will be forever Tim Apple. I think we're all good on that. Uh, this is Tim Apple's way of trying to divide the small developers so that like some of them actually are like siding with Apple and that they've given more favorable rates to the small guys and aren't stifling competition. Is that, is that what Timmy Apple's trying to do, Bobby? Uh, I think this is a very well executed fuck you to, uh, to Fortnite. <laughs> and, uh, I forget that other guy, but th there was one guy who's regularly on CNBC. He runs, a an email app or, of some kind. So that one, that one is, is strictly a fuck you at them. I would say, because <laughs> at, at the end of the day, I understand that you can get caught up in, in lawsuits and whatnot, but nothing's likely to actually change from a legal standpoint. So it's like, okay, you know, you're, you're concerned about squashing competition. Well, now, now you have it. And yeah, uh, I, I, again, I don't think this changes anything, but, but good job by, by Tim for sure. Yeah, since it's, I mean, again, since so much of the revenue is in the hands of the big developers, it's a financial non-event for Apple. James, is it? Is this also just like a legal rear guard of some kind to maybe prevent future, future uh, DOJ interventions or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, if it was like not that much of a revenue hit anyways, they should might as well just make it 5%. I figure, but you know, hey, I'm not. <laughs> just make it, just, just be, just throw them a bone. But, but uh, yeah, it, it helps. It helps that the the, the antitrust, um, anti-competitive uh, um, arguments, for sure. Um, switching gears, seemingly uh, having nothing to do with Apple because it doesn't. Uh, the other the other piece of news that caught my eye this week is that Lime Scooters claims that it's going to make money. Will it? I, I don't know. Over like the next year. Um, the scooter industry, can we call it an industry first of all? Are we willing to call the scooter industry an industry? Sure. Sure. All right. <laughs> sure. I'll, I'll, I'll allow it. Uh, they get clobbered in the beginning of the pandemic when lockdown's happening, but they're making a recovery. Two questions I have. One is, is the scooter phenomenon a fad or will it be a mode of transport in cities for a long period of time is question number one. James, is it a fad or is it a transportation revolution? I haven't really seen anyone use use Lime, but I don't really live anywhere that's dense at this point. Um, when I see those bike rental uh, businesses where they're, where they're just, you know, you pay, pay to pay to do that, it's like, where the hell am I going to ride to? It's just all like this industrial. <laughs> so so it really, it really dep depends on where you're at. It probably is a fad. I don't really see it being a sustainable business. I mean, it, these are electric scooters, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I, yeah I, don't, I don't really 
see it. I don't see people in scooters. Even when I do do go to cities, I don't get out much these days. But maybe I don't really see anyone riding around. See, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't see it as a business model. Well, Robert, you lived in, you know, Long Beach. Let's call it Central Long Beach. And then, you know, temporarily in New Orleans. Is the scooter phenomenon alive and well there? Um, I've not seen anybody ride a scooter here, but in Long Beach, yes, they were everywhere. And I do think it's an easy enough transition from just renting scooters to renting bikes or whatever else. And although I'd like to think that it's a fad, I've seen it work in enough places that it, it might catch on at some point. I can tell you, like, Having been to to China, there's massive parking lots of of both scooters and uh, uh, bikes. So I can see it at some point becoming an issue, assuming people get over the the fear of germs and catching COVID and all that. Sure. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't think it's just a fad. I think I think it'll be around for a while. Well, here's my counter argument. Jetpacks. Jetpacks could spell the doom of scooters. But it, couldn't it couldn't it all be the same the same company just diversifying into jetpacks at some point? Yeah, like uh Uber Jetpack. Yeah, yeah. You could give, you know Uber could uh get you on a subscription plan, Robert. Unlimited rides in cars. Unlimited scooter use and jetpack use. The well, transportation I, bundle. Well, I, I have a moral opposition to, to scooters, but... Um, a moral? You know, <laughs> meaning, like, people often... T- no, no, maybe not a moral one, but people often tell me, like, oh, they're so much fun. Like, you will not catch me on one of those things ever. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a machismo <laughs> thing. Sure, yes. <laughs> so... But... You know, would would I sign up for unlimited Uber rides and Uber Jetpack? Yeah, absolutely. You would definitely be front of the line for an Uber subscription. Well, I did have one before they. Well, they, they used to have um, the really cheap rides, and then I took them for all they had, and then they raised the prices on it. So, yeah, I, I'm very much a fan of of the service. It's just the price has to make sense, is all. It just feels like uh, it, it, there's no independent end game for Lime. Like, all, if you're if you're on the border directions of, of Lime, it's like we just have to get bought by Uber at some premium. We have to pick a, a spot where people are overvaluing a scooter revolution, which just doesn't seem possible to me. And and you sell out, right? That's that's the end game if you're Lime. It's got to be. Yeah. But does it scale? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I can see it scaling for sure. Once you get over the, the stigma of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think part of the problem is we're, we're very much a, uh, a driving society where people take pride in what they drive. And you can't take pride on a, a, a Lime scooter. You can you can if you like live in Santa Monica and go to Whole Foods. I think that that's what concerns me about will it scale? 
it's definitely it's i feel like it's highly scaled in venice california near whole foods <laughs> <laughs> it's just not scaled in irvine or glendale <laughs> so any anywhere where you can hear a, a leaf blower <laughs> correct 100 percent. wherever you can hear a leaf blower there's no scooters in sight among many other crossovers like like that <laughs> crime <laughs> urban density all right gentlemen it's been a pleasure all right yeah, hey, uh, have a great thanksgiving we'll probably be off next week i just we're gonna be off next week because it's thanksgiving i don't know maybe we'll do it we'll play it by ear i'm just setting expectations with people who listen to this we're we're gonna leave it up in the air depends right. on how hungover we are probably all right well, happy thanksgiving guys see you guys Bye.